Becoming a full-time writer can be overwhelming. Join Jay Thorne and Zach Bohannon as they help you improve your craft and find your audience so you too can become a career author. This is the Career Author Podcast. All right. Welcome to Landmark episode 143 of the Career Author Podcast brought to you by our good friends over at Kobo Writing Life. Kobo Writing Life empowers you, the author, to take your self-publishing career into your own hands with simple tools to publish your books in any country you please, set your price, keep all your rights, and take advantage of their monthly promotional opportunities, all without ex- any exclusivity agreements. Get started today at CobraRyanLife.com. And uh, as always, I'm Zach Bohannon, and with me every single week is Jay Thorne. And what's really throwing me off right now is I put you on the wrong side of my screen. <laughs> so I usually put you on the right and put the script on the left. I'm going to fix that. It's driving me nuts. So how you doing, dude? I'm wet. <laughs> All right. So that's the Career Author Podcast for this week. Uh, it was good talking to you guys. I bet you didn't expect me to say that. Uh, I never want you to say that. <laughs> we are... Um... We're we're in the middle of uh, one of those storms that remind me of the of the storms I used to deal with in uh, Middle Tennessee down in Nashville. Oh yeah, where like fifty mile an hour gusts, just torrential walls of rain, and uh, it started about halfway through my run this morning. <laughs> oh man, that <laughs> and I sucks. Just, uh, I like I got I just got brand new shoes and uh, and and I was I, I ran home. I ran about four or five miles home, and it was just like I felt like one of those weather reporters. Uh, reporting on a hurricane, <laughs> I was just getting blown, blown from one side of the road to the other, and I'm, uh, I'm still a bit wet. <laughs> That's brutal, man. But, yeah, we had one of those storms you're talking about last week, so where it just like rain was coming in sideways, it came out of nowhere and just like pouring, and our yard was flooded, and it was just yeah, it was yeah. It was crazy, I mean, man. you probably know this. Listeners might find this an interesting piece of trivia, but uh, uh, the Tennessee Valley has the highest number of lightning strikes anywhere in the continental United States. I actually didn't know that. That's yeah. And uh, when I was getting my homeowner's insurance, when we first uh, bought our house in Nashville, um, uh, what, I forget who it was, but someone's like, yeah, you should get a generator or at least get like the special panel because like we, they're like, we get lightning strikes all the time. We get like these yeah. thunderstorms with, with severe lightning and it, it causes real damage. That's interesting. I didn't know that it was like that here because I also lived in Oklahoma for a while and like lightning there is crazy, <laughs> you know, so I, I would have expected like maybe somewhere in the Midwest to be to have that. But that's that's interesting. Yeah. So we definitely had some crazy lightning and thunder last week yeah. here on, on one of these nights. So um, well, yeah, I'm, we got our weather talking. Perfect. Yeah. I'm just hoping that we get through this episode without the power going out on my end. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah. Well, it's hopefully right on my now. end, the sun's out here, so hopefully on my end it'll be good. But, Balance uh, it out. How many? Uh, how's your running doing? Like, how many miles are you up to? Well, I had a I had a mild shin splint, so I had to rest for a few weeks. Uh, I was up to twelve miles, and uh, and after I, I rested for a couple weeks, and then I'm slowly building back up. So today was ten, and um, by the end of the week I'll be back up to twelve, and then twelve is nice. going to be my baseline. Um, yeah. Once I can run 12 miles three times a week, then I'm going to look at training for the Cleveland Marathon in May. That'll be like the next increment of training. That's awesome, man. That's cool. Do you do you uh, have anywhere specific you go or do you just go outside your house and have a route you go? I have. Uh, well, I mean, you, you know where I live. I live in an older yeah. inner ring suburb. And, and so I have the um, I have a, I have the luxury in that I have about four or five different routes I can take. 
Because um, I, I know I, I, get, I often get like bored with the same, like I can't run on a track and even, even like yeah. in a neighborhood, I like to change it up a little bit, um, especially on the longer run. So, uh, yeah, I can go, I can go down into university circle from my house. I can go out towards Mayfield Heights. I can go to the East. Yeah. It's, I, I've, I've several different routes and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It like keeps that diversity going. Yeah. I'm the same way with cycling. Like the green way I go to has like a bunch of different paths you can take. And I, uh, some, so I could do the whole thing, but I'm like, oh, I'll save this area for like tomorrow or something like that. And then, uh, there's another one in Murfreesboro I can go to. That's not a super long drive. That's actually got longer. I can, I can go out there and do almost 30 miles. Um, it's pretty long out there. The one by my house, the most you can do if you did every route is like 16 or 18 or something like that, which is still a good ride. You know, what are you so, up to these days? Oh, uh, I mean, I usually go out. I mean, I usually do about 16, 17 nice. miles. I could do more, but that's just what I, I don't want to just like turn around and do the same path. Yeah. So I, and I haven't been going out. To, I need to go out to Murfreesboro and just do that. Cause I could go, I could go do 25 easily and mm-hmm. feel pretty good. So especially like there's not a lot of inclines on these greenways. So like that help, there's definitely some, but, uh, but it's, it's, it's pretty good, but I, I still get a really good workout in. So nice. I mean, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling pretty good by the end of it. So. Do you guys have any of the rails to trails in, uh, in Tennessee yet? Mm-mm, not yet. Yeah. I, I don't know. Like th- there I've seen at different least. parts of the country. I know in, in Pennsylvania, um, they, they convert a lot of old railroads into uh, pathways for runners and bikers. And it's mm. nice because it's usually pretty flat grade. Um, it's wide. Uh, and That's awesome. Yeah, and it goes through some, through some nice stuff. So, uh, yeah, I, just curious, I don't know if they had any in your yeah, way. Yeah, I don't think they've done that here. Yeah, not, not from what I've seen. So, but anyways. All right. Well, uh, with that out of the way, let's talk about our topic. We'll not talk about our topic, but let's tell what our topic is, which uh, this is a good one this week. Um, we actually had a guest on this week. Um, very, very rare instance where we had a guest. This is, uh, but it's that we got the dialogue doctor, Jeff Elkins, who, uh, um, you know, I've had some interaction with Jeff. Jeff's a great dude. I, really but you and Jeff guy. have talked a lot, you yeah. know, so, <laughs> and, and um, you were actually the one who conducted this interview. I wasn't even there because you guys have done a lot of stuff together. So, um yeah, I think it was. It's. I think people are really going to enjoy this interview. I do too. And and he's. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about it. We'll we'll hear about it. But he's got a, a new service, and I don't. I haven't seen anything like it out there. And and he is. He's world class, like top of his game. Uh, so if you're interested in improving your dialogue, this is going to be an episode you're going to love. Yeah, I think even if there was a different service out there, I don't know if there's going to be someone as qualified as Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> um. At, you know, especially after hearing the interview and stuff, it's like there's a part in the interview where he mentioned, you know, like, Oh, well I was doing, you know, we're building these simulations and I'm like one of six people in the world who got to do this. I was like, Holy crap. Like that's pretty, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Th- this guy knows dialogue and there's no, no yeah. doubt about it. Yeah. Well, we'll talk more about that here in a second. Um, we got a couple other things we just want to talk about real quick. Um, you kind of hit me with a surprise yesterday, kind of last minute on a Sunday when most people don't have a lot going on, but I actually did. And you were like, hey, I need you to find an hour to watch a Netflix show. And I was like, okay. And uh, you were like, you don't have to do it. But I was like, I'll, I'll figure it out. So I actually yeah, watched. And I didn't want to say anything about it. Uh, no, it, yeah, it's fine. Um, yeah. And, and so I watched some of it yesterday and then the rest this morning before we recorded. But uh, you wanted to talk about Away on Netflix yes. briefly on the show today. Yes. What did you think of that first episode? 
Uh, it was really good. <laughs> um, uh, talk about setting up. Uh, I mean, like a huge choice. The choice. For one. Oh my the cho- god! I mean, the, I mean, the choice is like unbelievable. You know, and and there was like, um. Well, I guess first we should like briefly just kind of explain what the show is. People who haven't seen let's, it. Like, let's I don't do wanna... that, but not spoil it in case. Cause it's well, I'll let new. you do it. I'll let you do it then. Okay. Yeah, I mean, obviously I wouldn't spoil it, but I'll let you kind of set it up really quick. Yeah. It's, it, it stars, um, Hillary Swank and it's a, it's sort of a contemporary sci-fi romance, maybe drama. I, I, drama? I call it a drama, yeah. but they're, yeah. Yeah. And, and essentially, um, what's happening is there is a, there's a, a moon base and the first manned mission to Mars is going to launch from this moon base. And uh, there is an astronaut couple with a, with a, a, a teenage girl. And um, the guy was sort of going to be the one who was going to be the commander on this mission to Mars, but he had a health problem. And his wife was kind of uh, second in 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 the rank or whatever it was, and so she's gonna be the the commander for this mission to Mars, and um, that's about all I want to say I think. And I've only watched the first episode, so uh, I don't know too much more about it. But um, boy, the cast of characters and like you said, the choice in this from a storytelling perspective, I was like, I'm going to have to watch this again because it was one of the most high stakes, suspenseful choices I've ever seen in an hour of television. It was unbelievable. Yeah. And it just, the way they stacked it up to get to that point and was, was amazing. Like it was, again, we don't want to spoil anything. Um, but, uh, it was, it's really, really good. I mean, there's, uh, the the one criticism I'll have about the show is I think that they were a little too heavy handed with um, the foreshadowing. I think there's a lot of moments in that show where like characters say stuff and it's all, it's too heavy handed of like, you know, them getting cute with foreshadowing. Like this is clearly going to happen. Maybe they needed the dialogue doctor, um, <laughs> but, uh, but it was, uh, but other than that, it was like, it was awesome. Like yeah. it, it was really, really good. I'm actually probably going to uh, watch it again with Catherine. Yeah. Um, Cause I think she'll dig it. And then maybe we'll like watch the rest of the season. Do you know how many episodes this first I think there's is? 10. Okay, cool. Yeah. So, but yeah, I would definitely recommend people go check it out. Um, it's really, really, really good uh, uh, for the first episode is at least, I mean, it really set up. I definitely want to watch more. I can tell you that much. And, and I can tell you, I am, uh, I don't like a lot of sci-fi on television mm-hmm. or movies because yeah. f- for me, it's almost always cheesy or hokey. <laughs> like there's very few, like the Martian is another example. Of this reminded me film. of the Martian. This almost feels yeah. like something Andy Weir would have written. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's sci-fi, but it's, it's grounded and it, and it's, uh, it's just not cheesy. And, and, that, and I have, I have such a hard time watching most sci-fi and, and that's why this isn't even, something I would normally like watch, but uh, I, I thought, well, I'll check out this, this first episode and like was hooked. Like, it's just great. Well, the difference is I think this is like, you just said, it's ground in reality. Like this is something that actually could happen. I mean, this isn't like, like, I, I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to get to Mars and there's going to be like aliens with spacers and stuff like that. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. I don't think it's going to be anything yeah. like that, but it's not so, hard sci-fi either. Like that's, I yeah. think that's an important to point out. Like I, like there's some communication that happens between the astronauts and earth, which 
I don't know the physics of it. I, I don't think that sort of real-time communication is possible. Like, I don't think you could call someone on your, on your cell phone from space. <laughs> and, and like, I think there's a delay because the, the millions of miles that the signal has to travel. But like, you, you have to suspend that level of disbelief. But I, I just mentioned that because I want people to know it's not hard sci-fi, but it's, uh, it's, so, it's character-driven, high stakes, high suspense. And man, they nailed a three-season that first episode. It's not The Martian in that aspect right. of it being hard sci-fi. Like the movie, The Martian did pretty good, but like the book, if you read the book, it's like, holy crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just some of the stuff that he works out, like is some of the math alone that takes up like paragraphs is crazy. Yep. Um, but anyways, yeah, so definitely check out Away. We definitely recommend it. Um, and uh, just a couple other things, and then we'll kind of jump in the rest of this episode. Um you want to talk about three story method for just a second? Yeah, you know, I, I don't, I don't look at the reviews all that often. Uh, I, I don't check the product page as often as I should, and and uh, we'll get to that in the way for this week. <laughs> but I did notice that as we record, three story method has ninety five reviews, and uh, it would be great to hit a hundred reviews. And um, it's not something we've we've we haven't pushed reviews. We really haven't even asked for them. Um, but for me, anyways, there's a that hundred review mark is is a pretty nice milestone to hit uh, yeah. because it's you know you might get you might get a few people out of a hundred who leave a review uh, who read the book so to get to a hundred reviews is, is kind of a big thing and it is for me anyway so I would just say if you haven't reviewed it yet and you've and if you've read it and enjoyed it uh, help us get to a hundred go go leave a review on Amazon reviews everywhere are great uh, but clearly you know Amazon is is the big player. So uh, if it includes a review on Amazon, man, that, that we'd really appreciate it. We know there are five of you out there who have not left a review yet, but have read the book. <laughs> we have your email so, address. No, yeah. We so no, I'm just, we're just joking, but yeah, it'd be definitely, uh, we would definitely appreciate it if uh, we could hit that hundred mark. Cause seeing the, seeing the hundred instead of just the 90, I think uh, like you, they're kind of saying like the psychology for people shopping and it's like, Oh, this is, it just gives it more validation. Yeah. So. And like BookBub ads and like, I think for everything it's, it really is sort of significant. So help us get there. Be great. Yeah. And uh, one other quick reminder I want to tell everybody about is uh, of course we still have tickets available for the career author summit. Um, there's a couple different options over there where you can do virtual or you can do in-person um, and as we were saying, we, if, you, if you're on the fence, I think Jay said this several weeks in a row, we recommend you buy the in-person ticket because, um, you know, those are going to be more limited. And if we're unable to do it in person, it's just going to shift to virtual anyway. So, um, so we definitely recommend, you know, going that way. Uh, we have a payment plan and stuff available. So there's a lot of flexibility and options. I think it's a 10 month plan, right? That's going it it on. is a 10 month plan and that's only going to be available for another six to eight weeks. Uh, yeah. And we'll adjust it. There'll still be a payment plan, but it'll be, it'll have to be fewer payments and there'll be more each month. So if, if you want to really sort of maximize without any sort of interest penalty, if, if you want to spread out your payments over the maximum number of, of payments, um, now's the time to do it. You got, it'll be a 10 month plan. Yeah. So if you want to check that out and go pick up your ticket, just head over to the careerauthor.com and just click the little events tab at the top and you'll see the info. We got a lot of great speakers lined up and everything. So uh, definitely, definitely go check it out. And all the info is right there. So before we jump into this week's ways and hacks, we want to take just a moment to remind everybody about patreon.com slash the career author. 
course over there for as little as $1 a month, you can support our show and you'll gain access to our monthly bonus episode as well as so much more. You can become a patron of the show by visiting patreon.com slash the career author. And Jay, I believe you have a way for us this week. I do. And this comes courtesy of friend of the show, Todd Huff. Todd has a brand new service authors might be interested in. It's called Best Sellers Rank. We'll have the link in the show notes. It's at bestsellersrank.me. And essentially what this is, it's an, uh, an automated email reporting that you can get on your book. So you can see how your book's selling, how the book rank has changed over time, how it's affecting sales, uh, trends. Um, and Todd has a plan where you can, you can try it out, one book completely free without even putting in any payment information. And essentially what you'll get is you'll get a daily email that will show you your book's rank, your book's rank compared to what it was over the past week or so. So you can start spotting trends. Um, for people like us who have a big back catalog, uh, this is much more convenient to get one email and see all of your ranks than it is to go to every single separate Amazon page if you're, if you're checking rank. Uh, so once again, that's bestsellersrank.me and, uh, and be sure you can, you can try it out for free with one title. Nice. Awesome. So definitely, definitely check that out. So I'm actually, I need to go put a book in and do that. I didn't, I didn't realize I looked at the website, but I didn't realize you could do it like that. So I have to try that out for sure. Yeah. It's very convenient. All right. So um, we'll jump into our main topic here. Of course, we're going to be, uh, you know, having an interview come up here in a second with Jeff, but we figure we just briefly, uh, yeah, kind of talk about it. So yeah, this is, again, this interview is really, really good. Um, yeah, Jeff is, I mean, you've wor you worked with Jeff one-on-one -on -one to work on your dialogue. And um, it's funny because, you know, I, and I've said on the show and you and I have talked privately, like there's one thing in my writing I'm really proud of. I always feel like I'm really good at dialogue and that, I, you know, you've even said when you're editing my, you know, doing our edits and stuff for our books, you don't really have to touch dialogue a lot. I don't feel like I'm so good at dialogue anymore after <laughs> listening to Jeff. <laughs> so I think, I think at some point I'm definitely going to have to work with him. I wish I had done it on dead South before I put the first book out. Now I'm kind of scared. Cause I'm like, man, if he really starts changing, you know, find stuff with these characters in the second book, what I do about the first one. <laughs> well, I, I think the good news here though, especially for you is that the, the, you could do that. Like you, you could work yeah. with him and go back because you're, you're not necessarily going to be changing major, major story events. You, you're going to yeah. be changing the way your characters talk. Uh, so it's not like, you know, it's, it's not like you would, um, that, that would be a problem for you in terms of where the story is and where the series is going. Well, well, only because I don't have an audio book yet. That, uh -huh. that, that's the only thing. <laughs> so, but that, that might change soon. So I, I may have to look at doing the dialogue doctor before, before long. Yeah. Yeah. So. I mean, we'll, um, well, I'll tell you what, let's, let's get into the interview and then we'll, we'll talk on, on the other side about sort of what my experience was with Jeff and kind of where I am now. Okay. Let's do that. So uh, we'll go ahead and play the interview now and we'll see everyone on the other side. The dialogue doctor. What the hell does a dialogue doctor do? That's an excellent, excellent question. Um, so what I do, uh, which you helped me put together, which was amazing, um, which I'm sure we'll talk more about. What I do is uh, I help authors who have written great things, good works that just might need a little extra push in uh, engagement with readers. So uh, I spend time with them and work through their work and uh, we improve their dialogue. 
which uh, is what wraps readers in. So by improving their dialogue, we're improving their reader engagement over uh, over the book and ideally over the series. And so, um, yeah, so what the Dialogue Doctor does is I come alongside writers who are looking to build books that uh, readers will love, and I help them create characters and dialogue that uh, wraps readers in to the story. I don't, I don't know, man. I'm got. I'm gonna call bullshit on this. Uh, Jay, that was such a good answer, man. I mean, I, I've been I've been writing and publishing for ten years. I've published two million words of fiction. Yeah. I clearly know what I'm doing. There's no way yes, I would do. benefit from something like this. <laughs> you know, Jay. Everybody can improve their craft at some point in time. Um, no, I think. Uh, so I will let you talk to how you benefit from it. But just to answer that, like, I think we all have things in the craft that we like master and like really drive home. And so you, for example, are a master of plot, right? Like plotting, structure, narrative, storytelling, all of that, you're a total master of. There's, But the craft of writing is dynamic and there's a thousand pieces to it. And dialogue is one of those thousand pieces. And so, yeah, you know, you can write two million words of fiction and nail down 999 of the thousand pieces and still have this one piece that just needs somebody to edge on a little bit. Yeah, um, and clearly I'm busting your balls on this. Yeah, because, I know you are. Uh, <laughs> uh, For listeners who might not be aware, uh, you work with me on an entire manuscript, and I have said in other places and other times that you have completely changed the way I approach writing fiction. Uh, I'll never do it this, uh, this, the old way again. I feel like the, the draft of the manuscript that I just completed is the best writing I've ever done. I've never been so into the manuscript. And more importantly, I've never been in better touch with my characters than I have through this process. They've never felt oh, more so real great. to me. And that's because of you. Oh, thanks, Ben. Um, <laughs> yeah, I will try not to self-deprecate, which is my natural, uh, <laughs> my natural go-to. Yeah, no, thanks. Um, and it, it's, uh, and I think so. Like going back to the original question, like what do I do? Honestly, my my favorite thing about the dialogue doctor is helping a writer rediscover their work. Um, and so, because there wasn't anything I did special that like there's no magic sauce it's just thinking through what's already in your head so like all of that was already there it's just about getting um an eye on it that knows dialogue to help you develop those characters that already existed in your brain and get the skills around what you're already doing to put those words on the page and what i love about what you said and honestly like if i were to say like what's my dream vision for the dialogue doctor it, with somebody and they never need me again because it is just like a set of skills you learn and once you know the skills and have learned to have the ear for it and learned to like put the character's words in your mouth then that you can do it forever but so that it is, is just the, that is magic sauce though that is it right <laughs> and and like i mean let's let's talk a little bit about what you and i worked on because i, I don't i don't know from the outside looking in it, it might be different. Like, well, people just talk. Like, I don't, I don't get it, right? Like, I don't yeah. understand. So, so what's monomouth? Uh, I had a bad case of sure. it. What, what's yeah, monomouth? So monomouth is where all your characters sound like you um, in the simplest terms. But the way that that happens is w what we do when we write is we write what we know. 
and writing what you know is fantastic for genre right like you got to know the genre you got to be obsessed with the genre you got to know all the tropes writing what you know is fantastic for settings right like you want those settings to be real and feel like um gritty and like the so that the reader can see where they are and that means that you have to know that setting really well but when it comes to writing voice writing what you know makes you write your own voice over and over and over again so the key to beating that monomouth, which so many of us have, is to learn to put different voices in your head. And rather than writing what you know, write what you hear. And so it's about empathizing with your character on such a deep level that your character takes on a voice of their own and will actually begin to write their own dialogue in your head. Um, and and removing that monomouth and giving you kind of multiple voices at a time. So that's in essence that's that's like the what i would say is the first step of great dialogue is removing that monomouth and moving to um being able to have multiple voices in your mind being able to contain all of those voices at one time handle all of those and being able to flip back and forth into voices which as we were working was something you started doing which was really great was you would just like i know exactly what this character is going to say right now right like because you all you once you get their voice in your head and you learn how and you can empathize with their voice and empathize with how they're feeling in the in the scene then the words just kind of start to flow um so yeah i, I don't um yeah would well, you say that that was true is that a fair assessment of what you experienced well, yeah let's let's talk about claire we, okay we both love claire claire's my favorite character you wrote yeah I, she might be my favorite in that, in that yeah. manuscript too uh, so let's let's talk about how, how Claire how Claire's voice evolved. So in the beginning, in the, in the beginning of the manuscript, Claire had the same voice as everybody else, which means she had the same cadence, word choice, yeah, um, same delivery, cadence, same word choice, same delivery, same humor, right. same same uh, uh, same emotional flow. Yes. All the characters kind of shared the same emotional flow, same reaction to stress and uh, difficulties. Same, like they, it's just all they're all kind of moving as a um, congealed blob. Right. You have mono mouth. All right. your characters are just a congealed blob. It's like a jello mold. Your book is a jello mold. It's just like wiggling back and forth. Yeah, and and like yeah, that's I, a terrible illustration, by the well, way. Well, but you know. It's, <laughs> It's something like in, when I first started working with you, I couldn't even, I didn't even know what I didn't know, right? Like, cause I think what's difficult with dialogue when you're writing a novel as opposed to a screenplay or, 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 or something that's going to be performed or an audio drama, because you know that the end result is going to be sound waves, <laughs> right? Yeah. But, but that's, not the, that's not the case with the written word. The end result is still printed. And so I, I think there's a disconnect for a lot of authors who can't make that distinction from their head to the, to the page. Yeah, and I think we lie to ourselves and we tell ourselves, well, when this gets read out loud by some kind of actor in an audio book or when it gets read out loud by some kind of actor on the screen, then it'll change. Then it'll suddenly feel different. And that's not true, right? Like as, as somebody who's worked with actors, if, if, all of your, if all of your voices sound the same, the actor is going to play them all the same. Right, like, and all the actors will sound the same because actors, you know, working with 
an actor, an audio actor or a visual actor is a partnership, right? Like between the writer and the actor, there's a, and the director, right? Like there's this three-way partnership that happens where all three voices kind of come in to create this kind of beautiful baby of a production. Um, but the, the writer has to bring their part to it. Mm. And so you, we lie to ourselves and we think like, oh, when somebody reads it, it'll feel different, but it doesn't. It's like you're saying like, those are just sound waves, but when we're reading, dialogue needs to be even more unique and more intense because we're dealing with brain waves, yeah. and we're dealing with like people taking this character and absorbing them in their head. If you think about your own life, like few things are more intimate than a conversation, right? Like they they there are things that are more intimate than a conversation. <laughs> I can use my imagination. So we will talk about it. Um, <laughs> But I would also argue that those things always start with a conversation. Oh, there you, you know, go. They might right, end like, with so, one too. That's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Sometimes good, sometimes bad. Uh, so anyway, um, let's not run that tangent. So there's, but there's that that intimacy of communication with someone else. It has. That's why dialogue is so important for a writer because it's what sucks people in. And the funny thing is, is that. It's difficult to write, but it's, it's, it's so easy to see. Yeah. If you get a book with good dialogue, you know, like you're absorbed. You want to get through it to the end. Like you obsess over that. You fall in love with the characters. Like um, I remember the first time I read the golden finch and I, I was like, like, yeah, this, I will read these characters all day long and each character sounds different and they're, you know, they have, it's this long stretching novel that covers this kid's life, but it's just, you're just absorbed in the content of it. Or, um, oh, another one I'm reading right now is uh, The Man Called Ove, uh, which again, the lead character's voice is so unique and so powerful that when he speaks, you're just wrapped into who this guy is and you just can't pull away from it. So like it, it, good dialogue feels like a mystery to write. And it feels like magic. It's not. It's actually just learning some tools and like working through those tools. But it, it feels like magic. Um, and then when you see it on the page, you're like, that's it. That's what great dialogue is. So, yeah, it's to sum all of that insane rambling up. It's writing dialogue is creating this intimate connection between the reader and your character and that intimate connection when the reader sees it the reader knows i want to be a part of this character's story and i want to be a part of this character's life and it feels like magic on the page but it's really not it's about coming to understand who your characters are and using the tools to get their voices in your head and then putting those voices out on the page um so, so it, how did we do that with claire how did you how did you help me make claire come to life <laughs> um well, so it always starts with, um, sorry, it always, I don't think you and I have talked about this before. It always starts with a form, right? Like, so if you're going to think of it as like pottery, if you're going to create something with a ball of clay, you always start with that thing in your head. So for you, we started with, who do you think this is? Who would you, who would, if you, this were a movie, like simple questions you can ask. If this were a movie, who would play this character? Have you seen this character somewhere else before? Now, just because you're starting with a form, it doesn't mean the character is going to end in that form, right? So like, you may start with like, yeah, I want to make a bowl, 
right? I like bowls. I want to make a bowl or I want to make a flower pot. I like flower pots. I'm going to make it or I want to make a vase, right? Like, so you have a form in mind, but that step one is getting that form. So when you first presented Claire and we talked about who is this, you had an actress picked out. Um, whose name I can't remember. Yeah, we, uh, we won't give that away. Okay, we won't give that away. You had an actress picked out your head, and you're like, and this part, I love this part that this actor played. Yes. It was like, okay, so this gives us a foundation to start from, right? Like, and then we can start shaping that foundation slowly. And shaping that foundation is about asking, as you write that character, asking what's happening around that character and how would that character respond to things happening around. And getting that character's unique feeling for each moment, right? What are the power dynamics around the character? How does the character express joy and celebration? How does the character express anxiety, right? Like, so starting to give a little bit of shape to the character's voice. And then as we do that, and as we talk about it, right? Like you had great answers. You were like, well, she defends herself with humor. And it's, well, what kind of humor? Right, like, and we're just molding the clay a little bit right. more. Well, she defends herself with this kind of humor. I'm not going to give away. She defends herself with this kind of humor. Sorry, you'll have to actually buy Jay's book and read it. She <laughs> defends herself with this kind of humor. And it's like, well, you know, how does that kind of humor play when um, she feels fully accepted? Since that humor is a shield, what does it look like when she's fully accepted? And so, well, the humor probably changes in this way when she's fully accepted. Yeah. So, how does it change when she's in deep? stress and anxiety and i remember you offered some like points of like well it could be this way it could be this way by the way this wasn't just one conversation we did this over like three chapters yeah. right like it was chapter after chapter like hammering out molding slowly that clay of this character's voice it's like well she could be this way or this way and so then we ask well if she responds in anxiety in way a how does the rest of the room and therefore the reader see her and if she responds with anxiety in a B, how does the rest of the room and therefore the reader see her? And we picked a path. And so now we've got like the shape of this bowl you're making, right? Like it's a big bowl with a for cereal and it's got like a, a shallow bottom, but it's got a little nifty ridge on the top, right? Like we're starting to make this bowl unique from the other characters. And then after we do that, it, it, it's, it starts to flow because now you know what you're creating. And you know who it is that you're, you know, the bowl you're shaping. And so you can start to fill it out. The trick is with your book is you're shaping nine characters at one time. Yeah. So you've got nine different bowls working at once, which is a huge compliment to you. I don't know how you go from like not focusing on dialogue at all to like suddenly focusing on nine characters. Like that was. That's just me, man. I, I don't know anything. <laughs> and I just go head first into, into yeah, you, the, like the most complicated know. situation you could possibly come up with. Yeah, but you totally nailed it. And I, <laughs> I, you know, part of what I observed about you is that some characters came on really strong. Mm -hmm. Right. Some bowls you're like, that bowl is going to look this way. And that's not a bowl, that's a flower pot. Other characters, it really wasn't until like chapter 20 that that character's voice really started to, to shape. Like I'm thinking specifically of Alejandro. Yeah. Like it was, and mostly it's how much they talk, right? Like yeah. because, and that's the thing is how much you work on that pot just to beat this illustration <laughs> into, the, into the dust because it's pottery. Huh? Um, how much you talk. Uh, sorry, I'm, you know, you get me talking. How much you use talk with that character is how much you're working on that pot. So the more you talk with that character, the more distinct that bowl is going to get, and the more you're going to get it. Uh, the more you're going to like absorb that voice. Yeah, yeah. So like, 
an example with Claire, without giving much away, is um, her, her tr she is extremely vulnerable and fragile, but she has this very, this, this exterior that, that's protective. She puts on this front, and the way she does it is making like crude jokes and giving people nicknames that are somewhat derogatory. And, mm -hmm. and, and so every time I started to write a scene with her, I, ha I would channel that voice and I would, I would have to ask myself, okay, Claire, someone's getting close to Claire. How is she going to protect herself? Oh, she's going to throw a zinger at him or she's going she's gonna to make a, a rude joke. Like, yeah. And, and that's, that was for me how I had to climb out of the mono mouth because otherwise I would just write it the way I would react in that situation. But I would do yeah. that for every character. And it is that empathizing with each character that makes them unique and putting yourself in the eyes of each individual character and asking like, okay, at this moment, how does it, how does this character feel? What was, what's this character going to do because of how they feel? What's this and, character going to do because of the stress of life? And you made yeah. a, a great suggestion. I think you call it an emotional wheel or an emotion wheel. Uh, mm -hmm. But I, I made a simple chart and with every character I had, uh, I charted and, and I didn't do this ahead of time. I, I kind of got to know the characters within the draft. But how does this character respond in deep stress, mild stress, mild enjoyment, you know, heavy enjoyment? Yeah, you want the whole spectrum. The whole spectrum, right? And so, yeah. um, like, for, for Brett, for example, um, you know, when, when Brett, Brett was a, a very sort of laid-back, easygoing guy when things were going really well, and when things were going terribly, he would just shut down. And so yeah. I had to use that in dialogue and realize, okay, if, if there's a really suspenseful moment and there are high stakes, Brett's not going to say much. Yeah. And I, and and I it, think that that worked really well to kind of chart those emotions out, chart that spectrum out for every character. So that when I got into that situation, I would know how they were going to react. Yeah. And what's nice about charting them out, I, feel, I find, is that if you can visualize them, you can actually line them up. And mm -hmm. something you did, which I thought was great, was you had some characters that shut down under pressure and some characters that talked a ton under pressure. Yeah. So you get these very dynamic scenes with these characters playing off of each other where they're responding differently to stress and anxiety. And so um, try the, the reason we do the, the wheel is because you can like line those things up. And I almost think of it the way I, the reason I call it a wheel is because in my mind, it's one of those old toys that you could like turn. And like, as you turned it, like a new thing, like came up in the little right. square like reveal it and so for me it was like okay i'm gonna turn everybody's wheel to anger yeah and i can see where everybody is or i'm gonna turn everybody's wheel to happiness and i can see or like i'm gonna turn everybody's wheel to total acceptance and vulnerability and then and, i can like see where they yeah, are and, and there's so much nuance in this and i learned so much from you like here's a specific example and like you said this is something i i, I have now in my bag in my writer's bet my toolkit yeah. I'll, I'll have forever you said whenever whenever there is danger or high stress people automatically focus inward. They, they, they say things like, or they think things, how's this going to affect me? Am I, in, am I in danger? So when something bad happens, people automatically start talking about themselves or questioning how it's going to affect them. And just that little, that little turn there, gave, mm -hmm. with certain scenes, I could say, okay, everybody is thinking about themselves because something bad has just happened. But, but this character isn't going to say a word about it, and this character is going to be talking nonstop, but they're all having that same common reaction. And this was, this yeah. was just a nuanced level of, of dialogue and characterization that I was completely clueless about. 
Yeah. So let me ask you, when was the first time? So you're, you're molding these character voices, you're getting them in your head. When was the first time a character surprised you as you were writing? I think Lisa surprised me. Uh, I, I kind of, um, I had this, uh, I had the mold, I had the clay for Lisa and I, I thought she was going to go one way and I, I, and I thought she was going to be really, um, type A kind of, kind of snarky, condescending. And, and that's not how she ended up at all. Um, she, she ended up being someone who lacked a lot of self-confidence and always felt like she had to contribute her, her, her value to the group. So, and, and the way that would manifest is she would make a great suggestion and follow it with like four sentences of just random information that no one else cares about because she's trying so hard to impress the group and say, look, I, I'm bringing value here. And, and yeah. so I, I, I really, I, at first I didn't, I didn't want to like her because she was going to be like the, like the stereotypical snarky cheerleader. That's kind of mm -hmm. the, the, what I had in my head. Yeah. That's like the form we started with. Yeah. And that's yeah. not, and, and, and she completely changed into this other character who I, I felt really sorry for. Like I was like, she just wants to be accepted. Like she just wants to be seen and she's overcompensating to do that. And, and I, yeah. and I think that really, that affected how I wrote her the rest of the manuscript. Yeah, and I, I love that you brought her up because, and this is what's beautiful about once you get into like writing dialogue and become and become obsessed with writing dialogue. Once you catch the infection that is my disease, um, once, <laughs> once you maybe we should talk about that uh, in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, but once you get once you get like obsessed with dialogue, is that even the side characters start taking on their own voices? Because Lisa's mm -hmm. not. I would not consider her a main character. No. She's like a, a side plot but like just the way you described her with all this empathy and with all this like deep knowledge of who she is and what she's experiencing in the world around her like now that you've engaged with all of that even your side characters are going to start pulling that kind of um deep emotional engagement and the thing is if you're emotionally engaged the reader will be emotionally engaged too yeah. Like that's the, you know, like when I'm writing, whenever I'm writing a scene, if I can make myself cry when I'm writing the scene, I know I'm a mega reader cry. Yeah. Right. Like if I can make myself laugh, I know I'm going to make a reader laugh. Yes. And it's that like emotional, the, the emotional energy you're placing into the character through what's coming out of their mouth is what pulls readers into the story. Yeah. Some, some of the, my favorite scenes of that manuscript were between uh, the, these two characters, uh, Bradbury and Jesse and a, a mentor mentee relationship. And I loved the the loving digs that they threw each other, and and yeah. and I and I as even as I'm rereading it now, and, and I'm and I'm putting it into the screenplay, I kind of linger on those scenes because I love the interaction between the two. It's like it, it's like a brother sister type relationship, and yeah. uh, and it's just so much richer and deeper now that I, I I can see some of these things. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, that makes me so happy to hear because that's my that really is my end goal with anybody but you know with you two was getting into the project being like okay when we're done with this jay is going to love these characters and is going to love writing dialogue yes um it's hard to go back it, like it, once it you, really is and once you start obsessing over dialogue you'll never go back yeah i'm gonna like, date myself that. here and, and I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna call you dr nick from the simpsons right hello everybody <laughs> no Doctor Doctor Nick never had a license. He was this, you know, he was this quack. And uh, you're the dialogue yeah. doctor. And uh, and there's not there, there's not a, a a school that you went to to become a PhD in dialogue. But yeah. um, I I think it's important for for our listeners to know how you learned all this stuff. Can you tell us about what you do uh, um, for your day job? Yeah. So. Um... 
that's a great question. I work for a company that, uh, and I have for the last six years, um, I work for a company that uh, simulates difficult conversations. So for trainers to practice. So what I do every day is I sit down with a professional. Um, sometimes it's a doctor, sometimes it's a therapist, sometimes it's a law enforcement officer, sometimes it's uh, a you know recovery peer advocate, somebody who's working with like homeless and addicted populations. Sometimes it's like um, somebody who uh, is autistic and looking for a job, right? Like, so we sit down with all different kinds of people and we take one of the most difficult conversations they have. And we say, what if you could practice this over and over and over and over again? And that we then build a simulation that simulates this conversation for them to have with a fictional character that um, feels like AI, is an AI, but feels like AI. Uh, we kind of play with it as artificial emotion is what it is because we have a, an emotional model that we plug into. Um, but you're writing the dialogue though. Yeah, we write all the dialogue. Yeah. Um, so it's not a learning machine, but it, it's a it's an um, emotional realistic machine. So we write all the dialogue um, and we write the way that we write and the way the technology works. Uh, you can practice the conversation a thousand times and never have the same conversation. So how I learned how I learned dialogue was um, coming from a history of deep empathy because dialogue really does start with empathy coming from, you know, 15 years of having a background in uh, social justice work and like really deep uh, learning to empathize with lots of different people moving into being a writer in 2014 and applying that at this job, um, obsessing over dialogue in building these simulations in a way that normal writers just don't. Like we don't obsess and, you know, every word and how does that word impact this sentence and how does it impact this sentence in these, you know, 2000 different paths this conversation might take in any given time. So um, working in that job really was a huge benefit to me. And I had a, I had a really great mentor in the job, too. Uh, her name's Laura Hom. She uh, kind of helped design the technology 16 years ago and has been one of the lead writers there. And she mentored me in how to write dialogue. She comes on my podcast every once in a while to talk about it. So that's why I'm dropping her name. Uh, but she, um, yeah, but so learning that and then doing it for six years, I've done um, over 30 simulations now. Uh, and they're, um, they're complex and deep and, um, and I love it. We're still, and I, I now lead the team and train others to do what I do. Um, so there, I have a team of five right now, four, five. We have a team of five right now. Sorry, I had to count the Zoom heads. Oh, uh, we <laughs> five and uh, they're all fantastic writers and we uh it's a great place to work we sit and talk about dialogue all day every day it's and, really, and it's really you're fun. you're in one of the a handful of companies in the world that does this right yeah there's not you know there's a lot of simulation companies and there's a lot of um there's a lot of companies that simulate conversation there's only a couple that really focus on the emotional model of a human and like what what the human emotional model is um and so, yeah, there's only a few of us and there's, I would say there isn't, I mean, this is in my completely unbiased opinion as an employee, uh, I would say that we're the only company that obsesses over replayability the way we do um, in the world. So we're the only company that writes this way, uh, that does this. So, you know, I've had this amazing experience of being one of like, before I came, one of probably six people in history that had played with dialogue the way that we play with it. Um, you know, there's 
probably 13 now but um yeah so it's um it's been a unique experience a unique place which is part of the reason so just to talk for a second about how we got here i'm going to change the topic off of me and put it back on you just to <laughs> you're the guest <laughs> buddy i don't know what you're talking about i'm not on your podcast but you know i'm so nervous to talk about myself um so we were i reached out to you uh because you know i've written a 12 novel now um published 12 novels in the last six years and i was like jay like i'm not i'm not sure i'm doing this right um because i can continue to just write now i love them i can i will continue and i can continue to write novels but um it feels like there needed to be something more and you were like well what do you what do you do every day like let's try to apply your normal day skills so i told you i was like well i work for this company that does this thing and you were like could you harness that <laughs> so um part of what i'm really excited about is being able to bring these techniques that we've learned over uh you know working through simulations and shape them and change them because the techniques don't directly correspond what we do in a simulation doesn't correspond to writing but what i've learned about dialogue does correspond to writing dialogue in a book so taking that and being able to bring that and serve authors and say like hey i, I can help with what you're doing like and, I can, and yeah, and you are a fantastic teacher. You you oh, have nice. you have that rare ability of being an expert and also being able to articulate how you or get your results, which is which is very rare. Uh, and, and I'm I'm so excited for um, what you have planned. And and you're just sort of at the beginning uh, of this journey. And um, I'm sure there are a lot of listeners who are now. They they are gonna want more. They're gonna want more prescriptions from the doctor. So, yeah, come on, we can do it. So um, what, what do you got? What do you got in the works as far as um, methods and mediums to kind of help people? Yeah, with sure. Their so the way it works is the best way to do it. Honestly, is you know we've talked about like building this emotional wheel, and we've talked about like building the form of your character, and um, some things we didn't cover are like understanding the emotional flow of a scene and how um, you need to build that character's emotional flow and how to write dialogue in different genres, um, different moments of a plot, right? Like the action moment and the thriller moment and the romantic moment and the, like how, to, how dialogue changes with all those moments with power dynamics. So there's a lot of different ways dialogue works. Um, my recommendation for any writer is before you plan any of that out, write a short story with your characters, write a chapter get a chapter or two of your characters down because you have to have some kind of clay to work with. So before you build that emotional model, before you start like figuring out your wheel, before you start deciding what form this character is, get that mold in. And that's where I can help. So if you can write a, a chapter or a short story or something that's like 500 to 3000 words, um, and then come over to the site and book an appointment with me. And I would love to sit down and talk you through it um, and just see how we can take that character and shape it into what you want it to be. Uh, so it, it is that um, it starts there with you writing just one small thing and then bringing it over and we'll shape it together. So that's the primary thing I do at the Dialogue Doctor is I'll sit down with you and shape your character through and it takes you have to have something written we can't start with just an idea you got to put words on page but once you have words on page we can shape those words um yeah and you can book an appointment with me on the site dialoguedoctor.com you can just come over and book an appointment uh and i'm there uh what i have in the works um i'm working on a book with you actually that i'm excited about uh 
uh, that kind of sketches out like, hey, here's nine things not to do with dialogue. Um, that's <laughs> part of a series you're doing, which I love. Um, I'm also uh, working on a, a larger course that I'll probably put out in like 2021, which um, is going to work somebody through uh, how to start a, and write dialogue through a whole book. Uh, and we'll just do step by step from like creation to finalization and editing of that dialogue, like all the way through. Um, and that my real goal with that is to help people like walk because I will. So if we do a chapter together and you like working with me and um, the chapter goes well, uh, I do work with people through books and I'm working like I worked through a book with Jay. I'm working through another book with another author right now. Um, those slots are. I, I don't have a ton of time because I do have a day job. So those, <laughs> those slots are uh, few, um, but uh, I do have slots to work through people with books. So and it starts with a chapter. There. I was going to say, it's important to note though, because you have such limited time, you have to be very picky and disciplined as far as uh, big projects that you take on. So, so you are requiring someone it's got to start with a chapter before they get to the manuscript, right? Well, and to be honest, like not every teacher is for every student, right? right? Like it, it's possible that you and I'll sit down to do a chapter. You, the, listener and i will sit down to do a chapter and um you'll be like this isn't for me and that's totally great uh it's also possible that we'll sit down to do a chapter and i'll have to tell you like yeah this work isn't for me yeah right like there's it, the good what i can promise you though is that from that first conversation you will walk away with something yeah so you will walk away with with deeper knowledge and empathy of your character you will walk away with um some form of uh next steps for what you're working on so and, even if we don't do the whole book together, right. I, I, my goal is to bring you value in that hour that we spend together. And uh, if people want to get a little taste, they can start with the podcast. T tell us a little bit about the podcast. Yeah. So I just started a podcast, um, which is terrifying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so, but fun. I'm having a great time. So on the podcast, uh, it is also called Dialogue Doctor. Um, you can look it up on any of the podcast streaming services, or you can go to YouTube and watch the videos of the podcast, um, which I actually think are more fun because you get to see the scripts we're working through. Cause I'll share as I, as I talk to other authors, I'll share my screen and you can actually see the edits we're working on. Um, Jay's episode just went up. I put the first chapter you and I did up with your gracious permission. Uh, so you can see what we're doing. Uh, but what I do on the podcast is um, it's always about dialogue. Uh, every other episode, I have an author and the author and I are going through their work. So uh, you can actually watch what I do in action. Um, that's how and I, I the reason I'm doing that is not just to show you like, hey, here's what the dialogue doctor does. But that's how I learned to write. Like the way I learned to write fiction is I would watch other people do it and I would watch all the videos I could. And if somebody was posting up like, hey, here's how I plot a, a book. I was like, I want to watch how I plot a book. So um, I'm just trying to share like, hey, this is what we do. Uh, so you can just go watch and learn from that. Um, I think, you know, working on your own work is always the best learner, but if you want to get a start, do that. And then on the off episodes, I have somebody on to talk to like sometimes, uh, Laura, my, the one who taught me to write, uh, simulations comes on and she and I talk about, uh, just issues that we see in writing dialogue and how we work through those issues. Uh, sometimes my friend Rachel comes on and she and I, she works for, um, she used to work with me at my company and then she went off and somebody else hired her to do another, <laughs> to work for another company. And she's amazing and I'm sad she's gone. Uh, but she and I, we're still good friends. So she comes on uh, and we uh, dissect our favorite movies and 
TV shows. And what we do is we pull up the screenplay and we uh, rock through the screenplay and talk about the twists and the dialogue and what the writer's doing and how that, how the writer's bringing out emotions and where they're doing it well. And, you know, potentially missteps they take. So the first episode with her was, we did uh, some episodes from the magicians because we love the magicians and, um, the first episode I did with an author was with uh, Alicia McCullough, who's an amazing uh, science fiction author. She was really great. Um, so second episode with Jay. So yeah, you can check all that out. Uh, anywhere podcasts are, it's Dialogue Doctor podcast uh, or it's Dialogue Doctor on YouTube. You can find it there too. All right. Jeff Elkins, Dialogue Doctor. Uh, what'd you think of his service, man? Oh, I, I think I think we kind of said at the top of the episode, I think it's um i think it's genius i mean it's um i can't tell you how many books that i pick up like indie or traditional where the dot like there's just dialogue stuff where i just like roll my eyes <laughs> this is not and i'm just like man these people need help with their dialogue really bad and uh you know it, i think that this is a really unique service and i couldn't think of anyone i couldn't like not just jeff specifically um how am i trying to say this like just, I, I, I guess I'll just say it. I couldn't think of anything, anyone more experienced, like, or, or qualified to do such a service as Jeff with all the experience he has and what he does for a living. I mean, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. And I've, uh, I've said this in different ways in different places, but it, um, it is the truth. Like he, he's fundamentally changed the way I draft completely. Yeah. And, and, uh, in a way that, um, I don't know if I could, like, I don't know if I could write, the old way I used to do anymore. Like I think from this point on, any of my first drafts are going to be dialogue only because if, if I can't get that right, like, like you said, um, it's, it's going to be a reader eye rolling or just, or, or just bailing on the book. Like it doesn't matter how crafty the plot is or how great the reveals are. If I can't get the reader to that point, none of that matters. Yeah. I mean, he really, it seems like he really just has a lot of awesome ways to help you bring your character to life, like bring the character off the page. And a lot of times the best way to do that is through dialogue um, and, and to make those characters feel real. And other thing is to make your characters feel different. Like, you know, that you're not just each character is not a carbon copy of each other. You know, they, they need to represent individual people because in real life, that's how it is. That's we're not all the same, you know. Um, that's why one of my favorite things to do is sit in coffee shops and work because I can hear, uh, I can listen to other people's conversations, not because I care what they're talking about, because I want to care with how they talk and and stuff, you know. And I feel like that's made my dialogue better. Um, but uh, but yeah, like I, I and I think that that is such an interesting way to write a book, you know. I I, I don't want to sit here and say I don't think I could do it because I you know, that's kind of a shitty mindset to have. Like, I'm sure if I sat down and did, I totally could. You've done it. I can totally do it. Right. Of course. But, uh, but that's interesting that he has, uh, that he's totally changed that with you. That's, that's really interesting. Yeah. And, um, and something else too, that, uh, is important to recognize and, and Jeff is kind of baking this into his marketing plan for this new service is that it's the kind of thing that like, once you learn it, you just, you don't need them anymore. And, and like, I always tell yeah. Jeff, like my goal with clients is to get them to the place where they don't need me anymore. Like I, I don't want, I don't want clients for five years, six years. Yeah. Something's wrong if that's happening. Right. Yep. Um, but you know, so it, it's a, it's a skill that you can learn. Um, 
it's it's a little awkward at first. I, I'm not going to lie. It's it's hard. Um, but I think when you have someone like Jeff who can kind of guide you along and point you in the right direction, um, once you lock it in, it, it's it, it's sort of like um, it's 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 breaking that learning plateau. It's another tool in your tool belt, and it's sort of like you know it's sort of like conflict choice and consequence. Like once you see that you you can't unsee it. Like you see that in everything. And and I, for me now this dialogue's the same way. I'm thinking about. How are how are my characters talking? What words are they using? What is their cadence? What is their pace? How many words are they using? Like, I, I, and I, I wish I could give examples from from the screenplay that I have in, in JD's hands right now. But eventually, you know, I'll be able to share that in some form or fashion. But like taking taking a cast of eight people, and and I'm really proud of the fact that if you look at the dialogue. I mean, if you if you if you knew the story, you don't need any setisms or or dialogue tags at all. Like you could just yeah. leave the dialogue standing. You would know who's talking, and that's never something I've been able to say I could do before. And I'll tell you what else that we didn't even bring up with you um, moving into writing screenplays too. My God, is dialogue important? <laughs> like it's screenplay is mostly dialogue. dialogue. Yeah. yeah, you have very little exposition in screenplays. Like it's basically just to inform the director of what's supposed to be happening next or, or whatever, you know, like it's, it's very, very, it's pretty much all dialogue. So it's super important to have your dialogue, right. When you're looking at screenplays. So, um, you know, and one other thing I want to emphasize here is, you know, we obviously don't do, um, you know, we don't have interviews on very often, you know, we, we only, we only bring people on the show or for that matter, only advertise stuff that we totally believe in. I mean, we've, turned down a lot of sponsorships for the show and stuff just because it's not stuff we believe in necessarily, you know, and that's, we're, we're not here for, for just to shill stuff, you know, and like to make a few extra bucks. That's not what we're here for. And so, um, I mean, we really believe in what Jeff is doing and, uh, you've worked with him personally, you, and you saw enough value in it where you're like, we need to let more people know about this. And, you know, we're not getting anything off Jeff and his service and stuff. I just want to be really clear about that. We just really believe in it and think that a lot of authors could totally benefit from this. And I feel bad in a way because Jeff has a full-time job and, uh, and like, and like 11 kids, right. Or something <laughs> like that. A lot too. of kids. Yeah. And, and I don't like, I, I told him early on, uh, we, we were sort of doing some, uh, we were working together in a way that benefited both of us. So he was helping yeah. me with dialogue and I was helping him build this little side hustle. And I told him pretty early on, I said, man, you're going to be turning people away. Like that's yeah. a great problem to have, but like in all seriousness, you need to be thinking about, you know, does this scale or how many clients do you want to work with? How are you going to work with them? Because once, once word of mouth gets out and once, authors start talking in their own communities about the services you've provided and the help that you've given them, you're going to be overwhelmed and you need to prepare for that. And I honestly believe that. Like, I, I think if, um, you know, if you go to Jeff's site now and you, and you book a session with them, now's the best time to do it because I, I just have this feeling that um, once it gets out, it's going to be hard to, get to book a session with him. Well, like you said, this fundamentally changed how you write. So, I mean, that's, that's pretty big praise, I would say. Like, I mean, that that's pretty pretty big deal. Yeah, so. and it's over ten years of of studying and writing fiction, and uh, and and he's radically changed how I approach it now, and, and in a way that I think is making my writing tremendously better. Absolutely. 
So, so definitely check out the dialogue doctor. And we of course um, appreciate Jeff coming on, giving us some of his time. And uh, it was, it was awesome. So um, Jay, what do we want to ask the audience this week? Well, in, in the spirit of the dialogue doctor, let's talk about uh, books or movies with your favorite lines of dialogue. Uh, whether it's a snippet, whether it's a whole work of art, but in the comments, just tell us about a, a book or movie that you re- where you really enjoyed the dialogue. I like it. So if you want to answer that question, uh, maybe I'll get in there and talk about Forrest Gump because uh, I can quote every line to that movie. And <laughs> so clearly it has a lot of really good dialogue. That's the first one that came to my mind for some reason. Um, but uh, if you want to join the conversation and answer that question, head on over to thecareauthor.com and just click that little episodes tab at the top. And uh, you can navigate to episode 143 and join the conversation there. And uh, of course, we would ask you to consider joining us over at patreon.com slash the career author. As little as a dollar a month gets you in the door. And we have a lot of great content over there, That uh, a very big archive. And uh, of course, we do our question and answer episode every month. So check that out. And uh, um, of course, also remember that we have tickets for the Career Author Summit available. So you can head on over to the careerauthor.com slash events and check that out. And uh, the easiest and simplest thing you can do for us is tell your friends about the Career Author podcast. And if you uh, enjoy what you're hearing on here and you have author friends, just let them know that the show's available. It's free. It's everywhere. And they should check it out. So we hope that you will come back next week to check out Landmark episode 144, where the topic will be we don't know yet. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> I got to figure that out this week. So uh, yeah, no one listens this far. So now I'm just having fun at this point. <laughs> so, but with that, I'm Zach Bohannon and that's Jay Thorne and Jeff Elkins was in here somewhere and we'll see you guys next week. See ya. Later. <laughs>